0: Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church that's in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you'll be able to hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. And now, for a sermon from our lead pastor, Derek Ross. Amen. Well, good morning. good morning. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord, and we're continuing our series on the church. As you could tell, uh, we've got our holy hot tub prepared, although the heater didn't work, so it's more of like a polar plunge. We're going to find out how saved everybody is today, praise the Lord. All the ice is melted, though, so that's good. I'm just kidding. We didn't put any ice in it, but the heater didn't work, so uh, praise the Lord. It's a little warmer for this service than in the first service, though, you know because there was uh, 18 people that put their body heat in it. So we celebrate with those 18 and we join in another 19 this service. So praise the Lord. Uh, My name is Derek and I'm the lead pastor here at Celebration. Thanks to Pastor Vicente, uh, leads many areas of our church, global missions, prayer, and our Celebration Espanol. So we welcome Celebration Espanol as well here today. It's our our fifth Sunday, so it means also see youth gets to stay in the room with us. And so we welcome them as well with much less excitement, apparently. (laughs) Okay, that's phenomenal. Even Pastor Josh, that's always excitable, was like, "Yeah, okay, I don't know. That's great." Well, here we go. Um, two weeks ago, I was in some meetings, as I mentioned, with pastors from across Minnesota, and a good friend of mine, Evangelist Sean Smith, him and his wife Krista, were speaking, and he said something that stuck with me that I wrote down. That I believe we are evidence, or we're living in as evidence of it here this morning. He said, "Expectation can speed up the timeline of heaven." That that also the reverse is true, right? We know that Jesus couldn't do miracles in some places because they just didn't have faith. So, so when we lack faith, when we're filled with doubt, when we, we uh, can slow down what God wants to do, but also when we come with expectation, which is way different than entitlement, But when we come with expectation, it can actually speed up what God wants to do in our lives. And you know, we are evidence of that because we're in a season of acceleration right now at the church. Um, So far this year already to date of in services, we've had 131 people say yes to Jesus Christ in the services already just in the first four months. Last year was 201, so mathematically it's a season of acceleration. Um, after today, it'd be over 55 people who've been baptized in water this year alone. So we give God thanks for what He's doing. I was talking to Cheyenne and Shannon before, and they were like, it seems like We were gone at Easter. They were on a trip, and they are like, even since Easter, it seems like there's a lot of people we don't know. Like, what is God doing? This is amazing. And so we just say, thank you, Lord. We're just in that season of acceleration. So if you're seated next to somebody you don't know, introduce yourself. Get to know them afterwards. Get a cup of coffee. You don't know. They might have been here a month, or they might have been here a year, or they might have been here once. But just get to know them. God's doing great things, and it's exciting to be part of it. Amen? All right, Acts chapter 9, if you have a Bible, you can turn there, verse 31. If you're able, would you stand to your feet? We're going to read just one verse together, and then I'm going to read a bunch of verses uh, after that. But for the sake of time, I just want to read one verse here on our fifth Sunday, Celebration Old Sea Youth, and of course, uh, Celebration English, I don't know what we are. The rest of us, it's us. Okay, verse 31 of chapter 9. Uh, The Bible says that in the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord. By the way, that's what we've titled the message today, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Look at this, there's an acceleration. It increased in numbers. I believe those are things that happen when you live in the fear of the Lord. So hopefully you have a note sheet. I've got five points and we're doing water baptism. So I'm gonna preach quickly Actually, I'm gonna preach the same amount of time I always do So let's pray And uh, then we're going to celebrate with these in water baptism Father, we thank you so much For the opportunity that we've been given To gather together and lift high the name of Jesus We bless those who are also at home or traveling at this time Holy Spirit, have your way in each and every one of us Give us ears to hear what you're saying And we thank you in Jesus' name And everybody said, Amen. Amen Amen, you may be seated Our theme for this uh, next portion of the book of Acts is the church growing and going. We see this in verse 31 of chapter 9. It described the early church, and I believe it's still the prayer that we have for the church of Jesus Christ today. Amen? The church started out in Jerusalem. We read about that. Acts chapter 1 and 2, the power of God came, and, and the local church Grew in ways that it hadn't before. As people were empowered by the Holy Spirit, they would go. But aren't you glad that the church didn't just stay in Jerusalem? I don't know if you knew this or not, but Lakeville, Burnsville, Appa Valley, Eagan, Northville, the South Metro, the Twin Cities. Minnesota, by the way, not mentioned in Scripture. Uh, by name, We were the to the ends of the earth portion. So I'm glad that the church didn't just stay in Jerusalem. I'm thankful that what God did in Jerusalem didn't stay in Jerusalem. But what happened in Jerusalem, the people of God took it to the other places. And so we're still believing for that today. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So we're going to receive what God gives us in this place. And then we're going to take it out there. That's always been the method of the expansion of the kingdom. That the church will gather... Receive from God and then scatter to distribute what God gave to us. And so we're celebrating that today on a fifth Sunday where we get to gather together. I love that they were blessed with a time of peace and strength. I'm praying that for the church of Jesus Christ today. Uh, There are some people who think that the church, you know, can only experience peace and strength when a vote goes our way when a popular majority is in agreement with the things of God, but the truth is we can have peace and receive the strength of God even when things all around us going against us our brothers and sisters around the world give testimony to this. In places where people are literally murdered for their faith, they remain strong. Dare I say they appear stronger than we do at times. They, they remain strong in the face of physical violence. Why? Because they know they can still have peace and receive strength in difficult times. Well, the church can only have those things, I believe, if we live in the fear of the Lord. So the entire message, hopefully you have your note sheet there, is all about that. We will see descriptions in Acts chapter 10 of what it looks like to live in the fear of the Lord. The Bible says they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful to see a resurgence of reliance upon the Holy Spirit in our nation. You know, there was a time when um, Pentecostals, Charismatics, were uh, were more widely accepted and then kind of, we went away from it. And now it seems like people have realized, hey, we need a power that's greater than what we've already had. So I'm thankful for that, but I believe we still have a long way to go because there's no power that's greater than the power of God. So this is not the time to rely just on political power or popular power, financial power. We've got to live in the fear of the Lord and rely on the power of God. Amen. All right. So you see there on your notes, uh, I'll preach and then we're going to celebrate with these and water baptism. Number one, living in the fear of the Lord motivates us to give generously and pray regularly. This is, I believe it goes hand in hand with living in the fear of the Lord. And uh, perhaps that's why we see our brothers and sisters around the world. It seems as though they're percentage wise more generous and pray more frequently whereas many Americans seem to live more selfishly and only pray in crisis, or they pray selfishly for God to bail them out and not so much about their neighbors. All right, look at this, Acts chapter 10. Now, on your own time today, later this week, I'd encourage you to read Acts chapter 10 from start to finish on your own, because normally I don't bounce around in a text, but there's key elements from the chapter that I can't help but bring up. So this first point comes from verses 1 and 2 primarily, but verse 4 and verse 31 speak directly to it as well. So I'll read them for, your, um, uh, for you as well. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. So in this chapter we're going to see the interaction of Peter and Cornelius through the power of God. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing and he gave generously to those in need and prayed regularly. I love that description of Cornelius and his family that they were devout And God-fearing, they gave generously to those in need and they prayed to God regularly. I wonder, do those words still describe us today? Are we people who are devout and God-fearing? Or are we people who our faith is convenient and God-respecting but maybe not God-fearing? Are we generous and are we people of prayer. Verse four, the, the Lord had appeared to Cornelius and he had asked, what is it Lord? And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. I'm glad that God takes note of what we do. Amen. And verse 31, it says, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. I'd like to ask each and every one of us to do a moment of self-reflection, a moment of introspection, not to look at the person we're seated next to or in the row in front of us or came to first service or attends a different church. What words most describe you? The Bible used the words devout and God-fearing, generous and prayer, prayerful for Cornelius and his family, and I wonder if other people would describe us and a few words or phrases if they would use those words as well. So often I think it's easy for us to say, well, look at them and these are the words i would use. but, but as, a, as a reminder, let's not focus on everybody else. Because we can't really change how they're going to act, how they're going to think, or what they're going to say or do, right? But but we can impact ourselves. And none of us can go backwards, but all of us will go forward. So I would encourage each of us, as we make that reflection, to make a decision today that says, From this day forward, I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to pray regularly. Now, we try to offer different ways to do this, right? The Pastor Vicente was talking, you can give in the offering or Kingdom Builders locally and uh, globally. You can give in your time to other people in need. You can be a good neighbor for prayer. We got prayer partners at church and prayer requests throughout the week, prayer gathering on Wednesday, encounter on Thursday night. But as is my typical style, I just want to encourage you, don't limit your commitment to generosity and prayer to times just at church or corporate gatherings, Like even if you came and took advantage of all of those corporate things throughout the week. Let's pretend you came to both services on Sunday and you were in a community group and midweek prayer gathering encounter. You gave every time the offering bucket passed. There's 168 hours in the week. If you came to all the corporate gatherings, at most it would probably be eight hours on the week. So what does that mean? Mathematically, we have way more opportunity to develop a lifestyle of generosity and prayer rather than just a corporate behavior when everybody else is doing it. In fact, I think we have the greatest opportunity to display to the lost and the hurting all around us what we really believe in how we act outside of these four walls. You see, when people look at us, it makes sense that we would do things within these four walls. But how do we live outside of them is a bigger question or maybe is a bigger challenge for us that we would adopt a lifestyle to where other people would describe us like they described Cornelius. But I'm so glad that God always hears and remembers our generosity and our prayers. Proverbs 19:17 says it this way, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. How many people want God to have an IOU with you? (laughs) Come on. It's very difficult for him to owe us anything. But here, the Bible says, whoever's kind to the poor actually lends to the Lord. And it says, he will reward them for what they have done. I believe American Christians, the American church, you and I ought to be motivated to give generously and pray regularly as we live in the fear of the Lord. Number two, Um, Living in the fear of the Lord helps us to experience the supernatural. Now, I have the same amount of preaching time, and I have five points, and this one point right here could maybe be a whole week or month on its own. I don't know if I'll come back to this text next week, but we'll find out. We'll just take our time on this one for a moment. It'll help us to experience the supernatural. By the way, even the way it's worded, I believe you ought to want to experience the supernatural. I don't understand people who want to live solely in the natural, where nothing can change, where God can't intervene, he can't come through on your behalf. If he did it in the word of God, then we ought to believe and want him to do it in our lives as well. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we're going to see here three supernatural things that occurred in Acts chapter 10. And I believe if we saw it there, we can see it here. So let me read you these verses. Verse 3, 7, 9, 10, 19, 30, and 46. Again, read it all at one time, but let me just pull these out for the sake of time. One day about 3 in the afternoon, you'll be home before that. He had a vision, (laughs) distinctly, he distinctly saw an angel of God who called to him and said, Cornelius, (laughs) by the way, I've never had an angel appear to me and call me by my name, but I believe it can happen because if it happened in the Bible, then it can happen in our lives today. Verse seven, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was also one of his attendants. Now we switch to Peter, verse 9. About noon the following day, you probably will not be home by noon, just wanted to give you that time frame of reverence. About noon the following day, you will be home by noon the following day, though, praise the Lord, okay. As they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now I'm going to explain that, that's not like a hypnotized state, I'm going to explain that word to you in a little bit. Verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So Peter also had a vision, heard the voice of God speak to him. Verse 30, Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me. And then later on we see another supernatural experience. The Bible says in verse 46, They heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. What are the three primary supernatural experiences that we see taking place right here in this chapter? And and by the way, then I believe we ought to lean in and desire that as well. Number one, they each had a vision. Now, Some people wonder what's the difference between a dream and a vision, right? Because Peter earlier in Acts chapter 2 talked about the words of the prophet Joel that that there would be dreams and visions, young and old would would prophesy. And, And so the easiest way for me to explain the difference between a dream and a vision is a dream happens when you're sleeping and a vision happens when you're awake. And by the way, after I said that in the first service, Pastor N.D. texted me a Bible verse to back up that explanation. I love it when I get a Bible verse that supports that. I didn't say something wrong. Job chapter 33, it says, in a vision or dream. I can't remember what it says, but Pastor N.D. texted me. Job 33, read it for yourself. It says, dreams, visions, daytime, nighttime. Praise the Lord. Hmm. I mean, he texted it to me, but my phone's down there, so I can't read what it says. Okay, so we've been asking God to give us dreams and visions. I've been having, whether we've been talking about it from the platform or talking to people in the lobby, I've been talking with people and they're saying, man, God is showing me things. This has never happened before in my life. Well, we know that God wants to give good gifts to his children. And when we're open to the things of God, when we seek the hand of God moving in our lives through the supernatural, then we can expect to experience those things. And so people who've never had a dream revision, God's showing them things and doing things. Why? Because I believe it's a direct correlation with living in the fear of the Lord. As we've made a commitment as a church to to holiness, as we've been uh, the holy smoke and those different things, like all we can do for God, we know that when we take God seriously, when we live in the fear of the Lord, he always shows up where he's wanted. So we shouldn't be surprised as we're asking him to pour his spirit out on men and women, young and old. We shouldn't be surprised when he does it because his word tells us he wants to. Therefore, I believe that when we're not hearing the voice of God, when we're not seeing dreams and visions, it's not because God doesn't want to reveal himself to us. He's not playing hide and seek, trying to hope we never find him. He wants to reveal himself, therefore I believe It's really tied to a lack of fear of the Lord in our nation. I believe it's why we see so many more miracles in the supernatural around the world because our brothers and sisters around the world are are more reverent. They live with fear and awe of God. And Americans, we just in general do it less. I mean, not the people at the 1045 service, but those nine o'clock attenders, those people... Other church, right? That's what we like to think. But I just believe when we live in the fear of the Lord. Because here's what I know. If you don't take the things of God seriously, if you discount the supernatural, you're like, well, I don't think angels can show up. If you don't think it, you probably won't see it. Now, God can and will. He's still God. And he's not completely cut off, restricted from the ability. But, but when my kid's like, dad, you don't want to get me that gift. I'm like, you're right. And I don't. <laughs> saves me money. We're not going to reverse psychology God here. Say, oh, well, I don't believe in angels. And then just, right? So, so I'm just saying we ought to lean in. He had this vision. The second thing there was the angel, right? Angel appeared in the vision, but uh, sometimes I separate that because sometimes people have seen dreams, but not as many people have seen an angel show up, but it happens. It's in the Bible. Uh, I was looking at this in the book of Acts. It was written by Luke. 23 times angels are referenced. And in the book of Luke, his gospel narrative was 25 times. So 48 times in Luke's writings, he talks about angels. And uh, seven times in the book of Acts, we have angelic appearances. Angels appeared to people seven times in the book of Acts. So what does that mean? Mathematically, you may or may not see an angel every day of your life, but odds are somebody here will at some point. Or another way to say it is we're probably, most of us are unaware of how often angels are all around us. Biblically, says Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. What does that mean? They're all around, guardian angels. We, We don't often think about it. We don't often refer to it, but his angels are all around. They're here to protect and guide and We're so grateful for it, but we ought to be open to that. And then the last supernatural experience we see here was that when Peter fell into a trance. Now, the Greek word for this word that is used, trance, is ekstasis, by which we would get the word ecstasy. So, uh, as I was looking at the other instances, um, seven other times... I do no, seven times angels showed up. I can't remember how many times the word was there. Most of the time, it was not about trance. They would translate it to be amazed or be in amazement. So I'm not totally sure why they use the word trance in this instance. My research shows maybe we ought to think that he was amazed. He was in amazement. Let me read to you what one scholar had mentioned who I'm confident was smarter than me. He said ecstasis in this passage would be further explained as this, quote, although he's awake... So he's not like in this do 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 like eye spinning. It's not like that, right? Although he's awake, his mind is drawn off from all the surrounding objects and wholly fixed on things divine, that he sees nothing but the forms and images lying within and thinks that he perceives with his bodily eyes and ears realities shown only to him by God. In other words, he saw things that he didn't see but he had a supernatural experience encounter that he felt was real. Maybe, let me give you another way to explain this because I see many blank stares here today and you're like, trance, I don't know about that. Okay, if you've grown up in a Pentecostal charismatic environment, you may have seen uh, somebody, what we would call be slain in the spirit. So if somebody was getting prayer and instead of just standing there, all of a sudden they just felt overwhelmed and they just fell over and you're like, what happened? Did they push them? They might have, and that's not right, by the way, okay? So it's not okay. We're not here to push, manufacture, fabricate, any of that kind of stuff. But there are times where we are natural in a natural uh, confine and the supernatural comes upon us in such a way that we just can't stand up in that moment. You might've heard a phrase, oh, they were slain in the spirit. They were, they fell under the power of God or they experienced the glory of God, right? So those are things we might say. And sometimes because of abuses, we've become so concerned about that, that we say, well, that's not for today. But the truth is, if it happened in the Bible, I believe it's still for today, (laughs) Because he said he'll pour his spirit out. Why wouldn't we want him to pour his spirit out on us? (laughs) He said it's to our advantage. Jesus said if I leave and I give you the Holy Spirit. So when we read about these things in scripture, I actually believe that's really what happened to Peter here in this moment. He was going up to pray and he was overwhelmed in the presence of God. He was slain in the spirit, if you will, and he had an experience, an encounter with God. Now, historically, sometimes people might fall over for like a few seconds or a few minutes. I've seen people that couldn't get up for hours or even days because they were just having an experience or an encounter with God. Now, some of you are a little freaked out that I even said it happened in the Bible and it can happen still today. Let me just continue to freak you out. You thought I was going to say not do it. I was like, no, let me give you more. Okay, here's, here's the truth, okay? Um, well, let me give you a comforting statement. We're not chasing after signs and wonders. But we're for sure not going to run away from them either, right? We're chasing after the heart of our Father. But where he is, he wants to give good gifts to us. And so we shouldn't be surprised when his love is so much greater than anything else we've experienced if sometimes things happen. So it was a third supernatural experience. What do I believe? Living in the fear of the Lord will increase our experience with the supernatural. We ought to be prepared. We ought to be open. We ought to be desiring for that. It'll help us experience the supernatural. Number three, living in the fear of the Lord requires us to include everyone. Everyone. Now, these next couple points are going to be from verses in a row. Uh, So this is good. Verse 34, Peter began to speak. By the way, I find it interesting to note he began to speak after the angel talked to him, after he received revelation from the Lord. I think we have too many Christians that speak without getting revelation from the Lord. (laughs) That could be a whole series in itself too. Then Peter began to speak. Verse 34, I now realize how true it is. By the way, let me just mention... Peter's realization didn't make it truth. It was truth whether Peter realized it or not. It was truth whether Peter agreed with it or not. It was truth whether we voted for it or not. I feel like amen, amen, nothing. (laughs) You can't vote, legislate, By truth. Now Peter became aware of it. He realized it. But truth didn't change. Information didn't change. Peter's understanding of the information changed. He had an encounter with God and it changed Peter. It aligned Peter with the truth. By the way, our encounters with God will only align us more with truth, not away from it. Save yourself a meeting. Don't ever call me and say, I had an encounter with God, and now I understand more than what the Bible says. You're not going to understand more than what he said. Contradictory. When you're in his presence, you become more like him. You don't get a revelation that now you don't need other people. Now you don't need his word. No, 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 you don't. That, that's not from God. And that's not from dominoes, by the way. That's from the pit of hell. Because every encounter with the divine one makes us more like him. Peter said, now I realized what's always been true. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. God wasn't showing favoritism. The people of God were showing favoritism. He said, now I realize that I was wrong. That's a long way to say. Peter was like, we messed up. That our understanding, our interpretation, our putting into practice was not what God wanted. It was what we wanted. It was what we understood. But now he's like, we got it all wrong. But God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Right? You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. I think this is a great text for us here on this fifth Sunday when it's kind of like this family feel and we bring people together. I love how God put this together. Just so happened that Acts chapter 10 would be about one nation of people reaching out to another people. I mean, it's just incredible, right? But this message, by the way, I think was more for Peter than it was for Cornelius. This was more for the church needing to change than it was for the person waiting for the message to get to them. In other words, it means that the change, the message of change is for the church. It's for you and me more than it is for everybody else. Why? Because before this, Peter and the Jews thought it was just for them. But this experience radically changed that belief, and now Peter said, I now realize I was wrong. And this revelation or realization helped Peter and the rest that would come after to know that God accepts people. From every nation. By the way, if you've read the end of the Bible, you know this Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 that one day every nation will be gathered together around the throne in heaven. It says it this way in verse 9 After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches. So there's no winter in heaven. I don't know if that was from the Lord, but it was from my heart. I just believe that they were holding palm branches. Just to be clear, if you knew, I'm not saying that there won't be winter in heaven. I'm just hoping that there won't be winter in heaven. (laughs) And there was a verse about palm branches, moving along. If you have to explain the joke, it's not as good. Verse 10. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. What does that mean? Sometimes we we say verbal expressions or outward deals, it's it's my culture, it's my personality. But the Bible says that every nation, tribe, people, and language came together and everybody cried out in a loud voice. What does that mean? When we're finally in his presence, when we see him face to face, no culture will become reserved about our expression of gratitude to him. No personality trait. We're going to say salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. There's a day that's coming, friends. Some of you might want to practice once or twice before we get there, letting an amen out of your mouth one time in church. Come on, put on your outer, Pastor Josh, and just say amen. Okay. Yeah, there he is. All right, here we go. But I wish Peter would have got this revelation the first time, but the truth is Peter was a lot like me. I was gonna say like some of you, but I don't wanna offend you yet. And so uh, he was a lot like me and he had to hear things a number of times. Things happened in threes for Peter. Three times, Peter denied being a follower of Jesus. Now that third time was really bad when he even cussed out that little girl talking about, I don't know him. I mean, how scared of a little teenage girl do you have to be to cuss at her and be like, I don't know Jesus. But that was Peter, by the way, uh, I like Peter because Peter thought or Peter said the things that the other disciples thought. Yeah, I'm not sure that Peter had different thoughts than the other disciples. He was just the only one willing to say it. That's what I really like about him. I find myself identifying with Peter in plenty of meetings that I'm in. All of us are thinking it, but the one dude from Minnesota, not from Minnesota, is like, I'd like to say this. And then all the Minnesotans are like, Did you know it's not illegal for you to say it too? Okay, I just wanted... To let somebody know that, four presbyters are going to email me this week. Okay, here we go. Also, three times, Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. Like this repetition was needed. And here in this dream, this vision, three times, Peter had to be told to accept which had been previously unclean. So Peter was hard-headed, but once he got it, he was committed to it. And I just want to say, we see here in this text, Peter realized that God doesn't show favoritism, but accepted people from everywhere. So let me just say and remind us all to keep pursuing unity in Christ, which requires us to include everyone. We can't settle for just a few people who look like us and talk like us and think exactly like us. We're pursuing unity within the body of Christ. By the way, we're not pursuing diversity. That's an earthly, man-made-up pursuit. We want to pursue unity, and unity within the body of Christ, one day before the throne, will include people who look all that. But, but you don't want to chase man's end. You want to chase God's command, and God's command is unity, not uniformity. Yes. So I understand it's a, it's a word difference, but it feels way different. Okay? So we've got to include everyone. We've got to pursue unity within the body of Christ, and thanks be to God that each and every one of us are now accepted and part of God's family. Because most of us in the room were not part of that Jewish lineage. Therefore, most of us are the beneficiaries of Peter's realization. And so when we realize that we've been beneficiaries of that message, then it becomes easier for us to recognize the need for us to require everybody else as well. Millions or, dare I say, billions now of people would have continued to have been excluded without the revelation that Peter received. So yes, this was for Peter... But it was for many others, including us. And this is something that I want us to grasp here this morning, that what God does in us will have ripple effects to many more than we could have ever imagined. What God does in us in these moments will impact people that we may never meet, never speak to, but God's going to do something. So now it's not the people who were born a certain way, but rather people who choose to live a certain way in Christ. And with all the emphasis on this topic in our society today, I think it's the church's greatest hour to shine. Why? Because we don't need to change our theology to accept every nationality and people group. Did you notice that the church didn't need to get together for a vote to like let people in or not or who gets to get The church, our theology makes it clear. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The church doesn't have to shift our beliefs to welcome every language at the foot of the cross. Why? Because we're all equal at the foot of the cross where we're saved, where we're set free, where we're delivered to live in freedom. It's not by works, so that none of us can boast. In other words, what we need to change may have been our interpretation or our practice of it. But if we'll just get back to this, we don't have to catch up to what mankind is working on right now. Number four, I got more stuff I could say on that, but I'm going to leave it right there. Number four, living in the fear of God. And by the way, those if you're going to be baptized in water, uh, you can leave. Pastor Josh, they're, they're, they're leaving this way. I think there was 19 at the pre-service meeting. If you meant to go to it, you can still go because uh, I got two more points. So they're just going to start getting ready for water baptism. So number four, living in the fear of the Lord drives us to proclaim the gospel. I don't believe you can live in the fear of the Lord and keep it to yourself. Here we see it drives us to proclaim the gospel. Look at the message that Peter continues to share Acts chapter 10, 38 to 43. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Side note, extra point God's with you too. Therefore, when it describes what Jesus went about and did, it didn't say he only did them because he was the son of God. It didn't say he did those things because God loved him more. It says he went about with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Therefore, because God is with you, you ought to go out In the power of the Holy Spirit, you ought to go around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil. Why? Because God is with you. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're created to be. Verse 39, we're witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. He's giving testimony, personal testimony, sharing his story. It says they killed Jesus by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead and on the third day caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people. If you're living in the fear of the Lord, you're going to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. You can't help it. And to testify that he's the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I love that. Peter said we are witnesses. He was there. He was testifying about what he had personally experienced. And I believe the same is true for us today. Yeah, the proclamation of the gospel must be based out of a firsthand experience of what God has done in our lives. It's not about your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith or your friends' faith. It's personal faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I get it. You can recite some Bible verses and explain some things that theologians have written. But you wanna know what the most compelling thing is in your everyday life, talking to other people? It's your personal testimony of how Jesus changed your life. Not something you could just read about in a book or something you could Google or find on Wikipedia, but share your personal testimony of what God has done for you and how Jesus changed your life completely. Peter explained that Jesus was brutally crucified on the cross and buried in a borrowed tomb, but death didn't have the final word. (laughs) Just three days later, God raised Jesus back from dead. And now our savior lives and is seated at the right hand of the father in heaven forever. You know, all gods die, ours included, but ours didn't stay dead. It was a borrowed tomb. He only planned on being there for a short time. just three days, and the Father raised him back to life, conquering death, hell, and the grave. The Bible says the same resurrection power that raised him from the dead now lives inside each and every one of us. Therefore, we ought to go forth, the power of the Holy Spirit. We ought to go about doing good Healing all who are under the power of the devil. Why? Because God is with us. That same spirit, that same spirit of power that raised Jesus from the dead is now in each and every one of us. So this is why we've got to go and tell others the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because 42% of the world is still waiting to hear for the first time. So this is why we give to translate the Bible into new languages. This is why we give and send missionaries around the world to tell people who've never heard. This is why we give and empower the national church around the world so that they can raise up disciples and send them out. Why? Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And if we live in the fear of the Lord, we'll be committed to that as well. You see, once Peter got that revelation, once the light bulb went off, once he had that aha moment, Once he had that spiritual experience at an altar, he got up and he immediately put it into practice. I think too many Christians have had an experience, they've had an encounter, and they've just gone back to business as usual. But Peter was radically changed and he got up and he put obedience into action. I love what Pastor Choco de Jesus, our general treasurer of the Semis of God, he says, understanding can wait but obedience cannot. When you have an encounter with the Lord, put it into immediate practice. Just obey and see what God will do. Fifth and finally, it leads us to water baptism, living in the fear of the Lord. Verse 47 says, then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. Seems like uh, I had some pastor friends and they were asking questions like, well, will you let somebody be baptized in water if? And then they would just fill in the blank, different questions. I just started copying and pasting Acts chapter 10 and 47. Like, well, what about? So, well, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized in water. (laughs) Well, what about? All right. let me check. Oh, still Acts chapter 10, verse 4. Surely no one can say that. Why? Because it says they've received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. They were saved. So, in order, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. It's a simple checklist this morning for water baptism. If you are saved, if you are following Jesus, if he has made you new. It's one question checklist. Should you be baptized? Yes. <laughs> I'll remind people as I think the line is getting ready and kids. I think we're out there. I'm not sure. I see my wife. The kids are going to come in. Oh, there's a thumbs up from Pastor David. I hope that means kids. I was going to say, I'm preaching good. Thank you, but it's for the kids. <laughs> Give me a two thumbs up. Anybody, please. Nobody? You just left my feelings. Thank you, Darren. Appreciate that. Harold, <laughs> a little slower, but I receive it as well. Come on. Send <laughs> me so like, yeah, one thumbs up. That's it. Okay. <laughs> Water baptism is not a demonstration of perfection. It's just a declaration of a change in direction. Water baptism is not something you do or you wait to do until you've proven your salvation is real after a long period of time. In other words, how good do you have to be to be water baptized? You'll never be good enough. Just got to be saved. (laughs) Just got to say, I want to give testimony of what God has done in my life. Therefore, it's something you should do as soon as you can after giving your life to Christ or rededicating your life to Christ, new freedom. I mean, just, there we go. Some people come in our partnership class and maybe we're here in Minnesota. So maybe you grew up Catholic or Lutheran. Maybe you were like uh, baptized. I would probably use the word sprinkled as a kid. And you're like, do I have to be baptized in water again? No. Maybe you never had a Pentecostal pastor tell that to you. Like I believe in water baptism by immersion. We're not going to sprinkle anybody. Besides the worship team, we're going to get them wet too. By the way, but <laughs> that was Isaiah. We had to mop it up because he got. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it was like Sea World front row. It was awesome. Okay. Like <laughs> right, if you feel like you were baptized and you're good, then we're good. This is not like if you're not baptized in our church, it's not real. You're not going to hear those kind of things, but. You know, if you wanted to be baptized again, be baptized again. Like if you want to give testimony to what God is doing, something radical has happened, do it. So we're going to do these baptisms. I think, like I said, there was like 19. You can start lining up. That's fine, Pastor Lewis. Kids are coming in, so you guys might as well do that as well. Um, Here's the time condensed testimony. I categorized everybody into three groups. Um, One group is people that were like newly saved, like in the last three months. As I mentioned, 131 now in the last four months. And so some of these people that are going to be baptized fit that category. And we are going to cheer and celebrate like crazy for them. Then there's also people coming in. Some of you are not listening at all. You're looking at the kids. That's fine. I'll get over it. Get some prayer counseling about my feelings later. Second group of people. They've been saved for a while. And they were like... I wasn't baptized. Or maybe something radical has happened in my life. I need to be baptized again. And we're going to cheer. It's, nobody has a name tag like two weeks saved or two years saved. So we're just going to cheer regardless. We don't really know. We're just going to celebrate. And then there's other people that have recently found such new freedom in Christ that they'd been saved but they have been living with bondage, things holding them back. And now all of a sudden they've been delivered. They're totally free. And they're like, I want to give testimony to friends and family what God is done in my life. And we're going to cheer. We're going to clap. We're going to celebrate for them as well. Okay? So we don't really know what group they're in. You may know friends and family. Here's what I'm going to say. If they're friends, family, you want to take pictures, uh, everybody's going to stand if you're able. Everybody stand up at this point. The kids are sitting down, but you can stand up too. If you want to get closer to take video, take picture, you're welcome to do so. Okay? It's not like reserved rope seating. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting out of the way. I'm sorry. She was like, get out of the way. I'm working on it. All right. So you can come up closer if you want to do that. And the team's going to lead us in song. We're going to sing, Build Your Church. And when these people come up out of the water, we're going to clap, we're going to cheer, we're going to celebrate like it's our son, like it's our daughter, like it's our husband, like it's our wife, like it's our family member, whatever it is, newly found freedom in Jesus, recently saved, been saved a long time. We're giving testimony that I've been made new. So we're going to celebrate with these here today. Come on. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or for the 10th time, please reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week.